Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. James Nestor, our guest. His new latest book is called Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art. And his website is linked up at coasttocoastam.com. There was a researcher in the 1950s that you've talked about who used to rehabilitate patients with breathing techniques who suffered all kinds of uh, uh, problems. Well, how, did they, how did he do that, uh, James? Yes, this was a choral conductor who found a way of training singers to breathe better, specifically by allowing them to exhale more. And he would have these singers, and they would, they would uh, be singing louder. They'd be singing with more vibrance. And he actually was hired by the Met Opera to retrain opera singers who already knew how to sing pretty well. And after doing this for about 10 years, VA hospitals on the East Coast heard about him and said, hey, we have hundreds and hundreds of emphysemics, and they're just sitting here on gurneys with oxygen you know, up to their noses. And on antibiotics, we don't know what to do with them. So he went in and helped these people who were literally left for dead. And so many of them, by just learning how to breathe properly, walked out of the hospital. And he was active. This guy, Carl Stowe, was active in the 50s and 60s. And I've since heard from a few of the patients that he helped. And they've told me that he absolutely saved their lives. Because, again, we become so conditioned in this modern world to breathe in such an unhealthy way. And our bodies can sort of deal with that for a little while. But after a while, they're really going to start breaking down. And when we relearn this natural ability of breathing, all of these tremendous things can happen. Does a baby breathe naturally and then change later as it becomes a teenager or an adult? Absolutely. Check out a baby breathing. It's going to be breathing right into its stomach, right? Taking these very fluid, easy breaths. But at around five or six years old is when kids start changing their breathing and they start developing unhealthy breathing habits because that's right around the age when they start mimicking other adults around them. So right when they get the concept of, of stress and anxiety, and so their breathing changes with that. And there's been many studies that have shown this. How about the ancients? How did they pick up on these techniques? Well, yoga is the art of breathing, you know? That's right. Um, it's, it's interesting to know that all of this vinyasa flow that they're teaching at yoga studios right now, it's great stuff. I do it. I enjoy it. It has tons of benefits. That's not yoga. That is the yoga that's been around for the past 100 years or so. But yoga is about 5,000 years old, and it started as a technology of sitting and breathing. You weren't doing anything. And so it's that technology that had been developed by some of the earliest civilizations in India and Pakistan, been documented, that is now still around. It's harder to find because yoga is now associated with, you know, cool-looking sweats and water bottles. But, but the original <laughs> yoga technology of breathing. That's what it's, its sole focus. The ancient Chinese were into this too, weren't they? They were. Uh, there are eight books of the Chinese Tao dedicated entirely to breathing. That's it. Um, they warn you of all the bad things that are going to happen to your body if you breathe improperly and all the good things that are going to happen if you breathe properly. One, one quote, uh, which I thought was great. I found this. This book is like 1,200 years old, it says, the breath inhaled through the mouth is called Nietzsche or adverse breath. 
be careful not to have breath inhaled through the mouth. That's not a foreboding quote right now. Uh, you know, I don't know what is, but uh, they were onto this stuff for thousands of years before modern scientists were af- actually able to measure the effects of nasal breathing versus mouth breathing. Is it okay to exhale through the mouth? It's, yeah, you know, so I'm talking about habits here, chronic breathing. Right now, I'm breathing through my mouth, right? I'm talking to you. When I laugh, I'm breathing through my mouth. When I yawn, I'm breathing through my mouth. Perfectly fine. I'm talking about the other breathing that we're doing 95% of the time. So a lot of people have said that when I jog, I like to inhale through my nose and exhale through my mouth. That's all fine, but you're losing 40% more moisture exhaling through your mouth. Because the nose, when you breathe through the nose, you are creating a closed system in your body between your lungs and your airways. This very tightly controlled system. When you breathe through your mouth, whether that's inhaling or exhaling, it's breaking that system. And so you're not able to breathe as fluidly and your body has to work a lot harder just to get oxygen. When you're sleeping, the James, assuming you're not snoring or you've got sleep apnea, Are you breathing through your nose naturally? Most of us are not. Uh uh, The estimate around 60%, maybe a little more than that, up to 65% of us breathe through our mouths when we sleep. But this is not good. So you can think about when you're breathing through the mouth, you can think about the lungs as an external organ because there's no filtration. There's nothing to stop all the mold, pathogens, viruses, dust, pollution, whatever else is in the air from entering into your bodies. When you breathe through your nose, so much of that stuff is filtered out. So breathing through your mouth at night can exacerbate or in some cases cause snoring and sleep apnea, which is why during allergy season, when everyone's noses get plugged up, snoring and sleep apnea significantly rise. How do you convince yourself to sleep through your nose, to breathe through your nose when you're sleeping? It's tough stuff. There's, uh, and this was certainly a problem for me. I've been breathing through my mouth while I was sleeping for as long as I've known. Sure. Um, so, uh, and most so people I, do. I would go to sleep with a, with a huge bottle of water every single night, no matter if I was in a hotel or camping or whatever. I had to sleep with that water next to me because my mouth was constantly dry. And when your mouth is constantly dry like that, it changes the pH, which makes you much more susceptible to periodontal disease and cavities as well. So the way to to fix this, and this sounds a little crazy, and it sounded a little crazy to me when I first heard about it until a doctor at Stanford told me that she prescribes it to all of her patients. It's to take a teeny piece of tape, not duct tape, but a piece of tape with a very light adhesive, like a surgical tape, a paper tape. And you take a teeny piece of this and you put it right at the center of your lips. Yes, this sounds ridiculous. But this can help train you to keep your mouth shut so that you can breathe through your nose for that other third of your life. That's an interesting technique. What is hyperventilation? Hyperventilation is when we are breathing over our metabolic needs. So most of us can acknowledge now that as a culture, we eat too much, right? But few of us ever think about the fact that we are breathing too much. But that's exactly what's happening. And it's caused by stress, it's caused by mouth breathing, it's caused by other environmental factors, including those anatomical changes to our skulls. So when we breathe too much, we don't get more oxygen. 
Uh, this is, seems so counterintuitive. It took, my, took me a few months to get my head around this, but when we overbreathe, we make it harder for our bodies to get oxygen. And right now, you can feel this for yourself. You can take 10 big breaths. <sighs> you might feel some tingling in your fingers or lightness in your head. That is not from an increase of oxygen, but a decrease of circulation. That's what happens when we overbreathe, which is why so many people with anxiety and panic tend to have cold fingers or cold hands or to feel this lightness in their head because they're breathing way too much. How come when you sometimes get up too quickly, you feel lightheaded? That's blood pressure. That's a blood pressure thing? Okay. For sure. And what about going upstairs, let's say, really fast? And then when you when you get to the top, you're a little winded sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, sure, that's because your respiratory system hasn't caught up with all of the needs of your hungry cells, which is why that first five minutes of working out is so miserable, right? At the beginning of gym class, you're like, how am I ever going to get through this hour? And then five minutes later, the respiratory system has caught up. You're fueling all of those cells, and things get much easier. So a way to avoid that feeling winded is to start preparing yourself with your breath, with your respiratory system, before you hit those flights of stairs, before you go into that workout. James, tell us about the Swami Rama. (laughs) So this is a crazy story about this guy who was born in the Himalayas and by the age of four was meditating and practicing yoga. And he spent years in a cave just focusing his mind and his breath. And by the early 1970s, he came out west. He spoke like seven different languages, and there were these stories that he could shift heat around on his hands just by thinking and by breathing. And he could flutter his heart rate just by thinking and by breathing, which, of course, any scientist would say, impossible. We know that that's not true. So he went to the manager clinic, one of the most renowned uh, psychiatry training clinics in the U.S. at the time, and a Navy physicist hooked him up to all of these different machines and found out that he can shift the temperature between his pinky and his thumb by 11 degrees, and he was able to stop his heart. That's what it looked like on the EKG, that his heart was stopped for over 30 seconds. When they went back and looked at the tape again, they found that he didn't stop his heart. He had it vibrating at 300 beats per minute. Sounds impossible. It's all documented, and it was written about in the New York Times. 300 beats a minute? That's like atrial fibrillation times 10. That's exactly what it is. But he was doing this with his mind and with his breath. He was doing this consciously. And still today, people say... This is medically impossible, except the fact that he was examined in a completely legitimate lab and surrounded by scientists when he was doing all of this stuff. Is he still alive? He's probably 610 or something. (laughs) He has has since passed. Now, of everything you've heard in this field, what is one of the most bizarre stories you've ever heard? The craziest thing I think I heard was about this one monk that was born a thousand years ago who developed this breathing technique to heat his body up when he was up in the Himalayas in wintertime. And other monks learned this, and people had talked about it for hundreds and hundreds of years. 
until a Harvard Medical School researcher by the name of Herbert Benson actually went out to the Himalayas, went to Dharamsala in India, and found monks who claimed to be able to do this, to heat themselves up, so much so that they could sit in the snow for eight hours at a time and melt a circle around themselves. Again, you say, this is impossible, right? This is some new age craziness, except for the fact that a Harvard researcher was there um, with his whole team and covered these guys in sensors and found that they were able to increase the temperature in their extremities by 17 degrees. And he put them in a cold room. The room was in the mid fifties and put a wet sheet around them, about eight of these guys. And they were able to dry the sheet with their body heat in a half an hour. And you Jeez. can see videotape of this. This was written about in Nature, which is one of the most esteemed scientific journals on the planet. So it's all real stuff. And they've been practicing this for thousands and thousands of years. Now, five degree increases a bad fever. So they were doing like 15 to higher. higher. I mean, how did they feel? In their extremities, yeah. Because the, the temperature in their extremities went down significantly. And so they were able to control their breathing. It's called tumo breathing to heat their bodies up. And some of your listeners may have heard of Wim Hof. He's a Dutch man, a 26 world. Oh record. yeah, yeah, absolutely. He breathes that way all the time, doesn't he? That's that's tumo breathing. There it is. And if people don't believe it, you can look at the scientific research that's that he's done. He sat in a bath full of ice for almost two hours and suffered no hypothermia or frostbite. And that's supposed to be impossible, but you can see it on YouTube. I, you can I, read about it in papers. So, Are there a lot of people, James, doing this on their own? They've just self-learned? Yeah, there are. And that's a lot to Wim Hof's credit is he's taught people how to do this, not just as a circus trick, right, to, to heat your body up, but they've found that learning this breathing technique can bolster your immune function, so much so that in a laboratory experiment, they shot these guys up with E. coli, which would make you and me and anyone else extremely sick. They didn't have any of the symptoms when they were breathing this way. So they were able to stimulate their immune system to fight off this endotoxin within a few minutes. A lot of people are suffering anxiety because of everything that's distressing them because of COVID and staying at home and things like that. When you have anxiety, you tend to breathe a little quicker as well. Will this help that? Techniques? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you're conditioned when you have anxiety, when you have panic, when you're stressed out, just as we were talking about earlier on in the show that is a stress response. That's your nervous system ramping up. And that's what's kept us alive as a species, to be able to do this. We're not supposed to stay in stress all day long. And if you look at the majority of modern diseases, what are they? They're diseases of inflammation caused by chronic low-grade stress. So breathing is the quickest thing you can do to bring down your stress and actually reduce inflammation. You can do this with breathing. That's amazing. Where do people get your book? Uh, wherever books are sold, which I guess nowadays is you know means online. So uh, it's 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 out and about everywhere. It'll be out in about thirty two different countries um, in the next six or seven months as well. When you're out to dinner with friends and things like that, I mean, are you still practicing these breathing techniques? They're so sick of me talking about this stuff that I, I can't mention it to them. Uh, but but I am. I, I carry it around with me. You know, once you learn this stuff. 
you have it in your back pocket at any time. So depending on the situation, you can use breathing to either calm yourself down or amp yourself up. I mean, this is the quickest way of accessing our nervous system. We may not be able to control our stomachs or our liver or kidney function or our brains, but when we breathe, we can influence all of these different functions in our body. Every single cell is touched by our breath, and we can use that and harness it to do some amazing things. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.